0: Last November, a highly anticipated movie was released in the movie theaters. People were looking forward to this movie in hopes that it would redeem three other movies that had been made in this series that were an absolute flop. You may have heard of this movie. It is called Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and man was it good. Amen? Anyhow... I remember on that cold November day, it is cold up north in Wisconsin that time of year, I know you all don't know anything about that, Um, but thankfully the movie theater that we went to was inside of a mall and there was a large group of us from seminary that got together on this Saturday morning to go out and watch the new Star Wars movie. And we got to the theater pretty early to get a good spot in line and so we were pretty close in the front of the line and Um, We were waiting for a while. I think the movie theater opened at 10 a.m., and they were going to open this big gate so we could all go storming in to see the the new film. Anyhow, uh, as the time went on, the line began to grow longer and longer and longer, and the line got so long that it curved all the way around back to the entrance gate. A lot of people waiting. And then at 10 a.m., the movie attendant threw open the gate, and do you know what happened then? Yes, they did. Oh, yes, they did. The people in the back of the line stormed in in front of everybody else who was in the front of the line because they wanted to get the best seats. They wanted to get the first place in the popcorn line because they were the center of their world that day. And the booing and the hissing ensued. And miraculously, there was no fist fights. Um, But people were angry, and rightfully so. I was angry. And later, as I reflected on it, I was also sad because I thought, what a blatant public display of shameless human pride. Shameless human pride. Now, I know you're all agreeing with me and nodding and saying, oh, my gosh, how horrible, how could anybody do that? What a bunch of prideful jerks. Now, lest we let ourselves off the hook too soon, we must ask the question, what about us? How about parking lots? Ooh, this is a big one. This is a soft soft spot for some of you. I don't know about you, but if you've been down the road to that Trader Joe's parking lot, the one right down 1792, it's about the size of a shoebox. And if you've ever gone into that parking lot, you've had to drive around probably for about 15 to 20 minutes to find a spot. And you're driving around and driving around, and you're um, you know, having some choice words and thoughts to yourself about this, the people who created the parking lot. And then you see that one sweet spot starts to open up, and somebody starts to back out, and you are right there, and you put your blinker on for that spot. And then as soon as that car begins to pull out across the way, you see another car, and he's wearing his sunglasses, and he's in his Mercedes sports car, and he's got his blinker on too. And it's like a wild, wild west showdown. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. And it's like you are face to face, and you know you are going to take him on for that spot. Who is this? And you say some words about him, the ones you say in your car when you're alone with the windows up. And who is he that he thinks he can take? my spot we have all been there let's be honest we have all been there human pride rearing its ugly head or what about restaurants you know, on Friday night at 7 o'clock, there's a wait list. There's 100 people in the waiting room to get in and get their table. And there's children running around who have clearly been drinking Slurpees and Mountain Dew all day long. And you are just irritated. You've had it up to here with people not keeping their kids out of control. You don't like the lady's perfume next to you. You don't like the conversation going on behind you because that guy supports Donald Trump and that makes you mad. Whatever. So you uh, where's, go up to... The hostess stand, and you say, excuse me, uh, where is my name? I've already been waiting 45 minutes. And you continue to check every 10 minutes to see if your name is moved up to the top because you're number one here, and your comfort and your hunger and your well-being is prized to you over the other 100 people in that waiting room. Let's be honest. We've all been there. But in all sincerity, pride, what is it? What is pride? I want to just give a simple uh, working definition to use as we uh, discuss human pride today. And this is the definition. Pride, a basic error in judgment about God's created order and our place in it. A basic error in judgment about God's created order and our place in it. Pride is a basic error in judgment because it misperceives It misperceives by making me the center of the universe. It misperceives by shutting others out for my own well-being. It misperceives because it says, I am of utmost importance. Jesus is dealing with one manifestation of human pride in his own culture, a a unique manifestation for his culture, in our gospel today. Now there's a couple of things that you have to know about the ancient Mediterranean culture to even have any sense of the gravitas that Jesus's words would have had at this dinner banquet. The, the culture that Jesus lived in was it, it was an honor-shame society. It was an honor-shame society. So it was of utmost importance to advance your status In in the society because you wanted to be known as honorable and there were some people who were known as honorable leaders and the wealthy and those of high status who were way up here and there were some people who were way down here and some people who were more on the shame ladder and some and everybody else in between but pursuing honor your own was important it was of utmost importance because there was a social stratification that defined people's value based on their honor and their social status. Now, meals, dinner banquets were one unique way that you could reinforce this social hierarchy. They naturally reinforced the social hierarchy, and here's how they did it. Because based on where you sat at the table in relation to the host who invited you, that said everything about where you were on the honor system, on the, on the honor uh, hierarchy. And so naturally... You would pursue, like everybody else, and hope that you would find a seat close to the host, because that would put your social status on display. It was a way to advertise yourself as a person of power and legitimacy and prestige. So it was natural to seek that, and everybody thought that way. So now that you know that, look at these words again and imagine what they would have sounded like to people's who lived in this culture and took these sort of things for granted. Jesus says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor. And then he goes on later and says, actually, when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. Okay, everyone now is looking at Jesus sideways. Uh Jesus um, don't know if you know about, um, our society, but, um, that's kind of crazy because this is an honor shame system and we go for places of honor because we want to be well known because we want to show how important we are to other people. So this is just uh, a little crazy Jesus. And it was, it was a radical challenge to the social hierarchy, the, the, the model of self advancement in Jesus's own culture. It was a radical challenge. To human pride. To human pride. But Jesus doesn't stop with the guests. He also approaches the host. Now here's what you need to know about this set of sayings from Jesus. There was also something in this culture which could be known as the ethics of reciprocity. The ethics of reciprocity. Meaning that when a gift was given to somebody, it was expected that there would be a gift in return. To put it bluntly, gifts always had attached strings. There was always a string attached. You always were expected to reciprocate what was given to you. And so dinner banquets were a very significant gift. An invite to a dinner banquet was a very significant gift. And it was very much expected that if you were invited, you would send a gift or bring a gift or invite that person who invited you to your next dinner banquet was very much the way of thinking. It was very conventional to think in that way. Okay, now that you know that, listen to Jesus' words. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But... When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Um, Jesus, we were a little bit questioning you just a little bit before with the whole don't pursue the place of honor thing, but now we know that you are grade A certifiable. We need to take you to the local psychiatrist because this is outrageous. You're telling us not to invite people who can repay us, But to invite, Jesus, I don't know if you've heard, but the lame and the crippled and the poor that live out there on the streets, they don't have any way of reciprocating a gift. Why would you tell us to invite them? And then he drops this line. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, Jesus understands that the social norms and the models for self-advancement in his own culture excluded. They excluded. They left people out. Only pride can encourage the human heart to seek its own well-being at the expense of others. And Jesus is radically challenging that. Now, on a surface level, Jesus' culture and dinner banquets were a little bit different than ours. They reclined at the tables. It was more of a laying back position, leaning up to the table. And so on the surface, things were different. But you have to ask yourself, other than those superficial differences, is our culture today much different? Is our culture today much different? Because today it is still the case that self-advancement, even at the expense of others, is key. Who you are and what you make of yourself, even if it costs other people, that is what it is about, advancing yourself and looking out for number one. It's not much different. And it tells us something about the human condition. It tells us that we're still plagued by human pride. We're still plagued by pride. And do you remember when it started? It was the downfall. It was our downfall in the first place. But if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. Your eyes will be opened and you will have God's knowledge. And then there was a choice made that sought self-advancement. And if we're honest, each one of us will admit There's little more ugly pride monster that likes to rear its head, probably more often than we would like to admit. I know that's the case for me. Pride, a basic error in judgment about God's created order and our place in it. A misperception that says, I should seek rewards in this life. I should seek rewards in this life. And Jesus gives us an alternative. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now don't misunderstand that. Jesus isn't telling us to tally up uh, all of our little good deeds that we do and write down all the dates of the days that we were really humble and invited the right people to the dinner party so that we can show it to God when we get to heaven and be admitted into sainthood. No, he's not telling us that. He's telling us, To live like he lived, to live like he lived with eyes on resurrection glory, knowing that the Father above has all rewards in his hand and that all true reward will come from him and thus life should be lived in the humility of our Lord himself. Jesus is saying, if you really know me, if you really know the power of my cross and its forgiveness, you'll walk in humility like me. I am lowly and humble of heart. So I don't want to leave you on a note of doom and gloom because there's hope, isn't there? There's hope for Christians. And so the question that we have to ask then is how do we combat pride? How do we get in the ring and roll up our sleeves and take this ugly monster face on, head on? How do we do that? How do we combat pride? And I just want to suggest three things. Three practical things. One, simply consider on a day to day basis where you might be excluding others or shutting others out for your own advancement and for your own well being. Something that all of us would benefit from. The second is simple and straightforward stop seeking reward in this life, whether it's power or money. status or prestige or advancement stop seeking reward in this life and this is the final one if you're asleep now you have to wake up it's fine i understand i'd probably be asleep at this point too but this is important hear this one how do we combat pride recognize that jesus christ has achieved human exaltation Jesus Christ has achieved humanity's exaltation in his incarnation, in his redemptive work and ministry, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection and in his ascension. He has come down and restored us our proper dignity to us and exalted us with him to the right hand of the Father. Jesus has restored our dignity and achieved our exaltation. And you know what that means? We don't have to. We can let go of it. We can let go of every prideful pursuit that is rearing its head in our lives because Jesus has achieved our exaltation, and we can just live like him with our eyes on the glory and the reward of resurrection. That's good news. That's the gospel. Now, um, I could have tried to come up with my own way to conclude uh, this sermon, and it's a test that preachers always have is coming up with a brief cute little conclusion to sum it all up nicely for you, but instead, and I like to do that too, I'm, I'm guilty of it too, but instead today I just think that there's something more powerful than I could say or I could articulate, and I just want to read you and leave you with a few words um, from St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians, because I think that if we really let these words sink in and think about the model our Lord set of humility, it would really transform us and transform the world if we followed it. So let me just leave you with these words. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Okay, now listen to this. This is where it gets hard. to the point of death, even death on a cross.